This is a broadcast of SmallCapVoice.com, a financial communications and investor relations firm. SmallCapVoice.com receives payment for investor relations and financial consulting services that it provides to its clients. You should assume that officers, directors, and employees of SmallCapVoice.com or financial analysts mentioned and their families hold a position and intend to trade in these securities for their own accounts. This is not an offer or recommendation to buy or sell securities. Information in this broadcast is presented solely for informative purposes and is not intended to be nor should it be construed as investment advice. As in all investments, an investment in a featured company carries an investment risk. Listeners should review the company thoroughly with a registered investment advisor or registered stockbroker. This broadcast does not purport to be a complete study of the featured company or other companies mentioned. Information used and statements of fact have been obtained from the featured company and other sources but not verified nor guaranteed by smallcapvoice.com as to completeness or accuracy. Such information is subject to change without notice. You're wired in smallcapvoice.com. Following is a presentation of smallcapvoice.com, today's leader in investor relations, capital formation, and retail support. Now, with your online business briefing, smallcapvoice.com's Stuart T. Smith. Welcome, everyone, to this online business briefing brought to you once again by smallcapvoice.com. And as you just heard, I am your host, Stuart Smith, and we're welcoming back to the show the Chief Executive Officer for TerraTech Corp., the company traded on the OTCQX. Under the ticker symbol TRTC, that CEO, that's Derek Peterson. Derek, welcome back. Hey, Stuart. Thanks for having us back on again. Absolutely, Derek. Thanks once again for taking time out of, well, if you read the news today, your very busy schedule. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But we want to jump into some of the recent news for the company. And one of the things that we get a lot of calls on was this corporate governance move, this move for the shareholders again, as it's announced uh, just a couple of days ago. Here's the headline. TerraTech Corp announces change in board of directors. And again, this goes along with your corporate governance initiatives that we've talked about several times. So I'll let you take it from there, Derek. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've always put a lot of effort and energy into kind of differentiating ourselves, not only from every other cannabis company, but, you know, from a lot of the companies on the OTC. And, you know, some of the steps we've taken uh, that some of the uh, later stage investors may not be aware of is, you know, we've up, up to the uh, OTCQX from the QB, which is the highest tier of the OTC market. We've upgraded our auditing team to an auditing firm called MGO, which is a large, uh, hugely respected auditing firm out of California. They actually audit the state of California. Um, So we've really upped our game in those types of things. We've formed audit committees, comp committees, adopted a code of ethics, and those types of activities to increase corporate governance. The most recent transaction that just took place was uh, we've removed a couple board members. They've resigned, being uh, Mike Van Vreed, Steve Van Vreed, and my wife Amy. And we did that essentially because we want to move towards an independent board. We want to position the company, as we've always said, for uplisting to an exchange at some point in time, and to make sure that we're a qualified candidate to live in that type of environment, we need to have a independent board. So this was the first step of us gravitating towards that direction. The next step is for us to find strong leaders, both strategically and operationally, that can add value to the board. So now that we've created vacancies, we can go to market and find new additions to the board that we think are accretive for the company as a whole. 
Well, excellent news. I know for the listeners to know that the company is working once again along that path to an uplisting. You've gone from QB to QX and now looking at a larger exchange. Going back to the business side of the news, you talked about craft cultivation earlier in the month and an initiative and agreement that you had struck here. Let's talk a little bit about what what is craft cultivation? Let's start with that. Well, you know, you always hear the analogies with craft breweries, right? And, and, and I think there are a lot of similarities with how recreational cannabis especially is going to look and compare to, say, uh, the alcohol industry from how brands are marketed, distributed, cultivated, grown, brought to market, that type of thing. Um, why craft cultivation is important to us is because there's a big shift happening in the marketplace, specifically in California, towards a broader, bigger, more commercialized approach to, to, to the cultivation and agriculture of cannabis, which I think is a good move for a lot of different reasons, right? You get economies of scale, you get cheaper cost of goods, you can maintain integrity and protocols in those processes and have a kind of a very transparent and consistent product on the other end of it. However, there's a huge value in these small craft cultivators, these pocket cultivators that have been growing certain strains in certain regions of California for decades. And, 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 and we hate, kind of as a, as, a, as a company, as a company's model, we hate to see these disappear. We think that consumers would ultimately be losing out if a lot of these craft providers didn't exist. But a lot of these craft providers don't have the administrative arm and the admin backbone they need to live in this new regulation that's coming down the pipeline in California in 2018. I'm talking about MMRSA and AUMA, which is the medical and recreational uh, regulatory framework that's going to be adopted, which has a huge amount of administration uh, headwinds and hurdles that are associated with that. So what our hope is, and what we did with this model up in Humboldt, uh, which is one of the greatest growing regions in the state of California, is we've adopted a, a partnership with a craft grower that can grow for us, with us, where we can get a cheaper cost of product, which is great, great for our margins, but at the same time maintain that integrity that this craft grower has, has uh, adopted in his, his cultivation principles over you know, uh, several decades. So that was important to us to make sure that that smaller piece of the market gets the voice that it needs and it can continue to live in a higher, more, uh, more regulated market that, again, we're going to see coming down the pipeline here shortly. So we, we, our intention in the state of California is to continue to not only expand our own commercialized cultivation footprint, but continue to partner with craft growers that have experience with growing these unbelievable strains so that IVXX, our wholesale brand, and as well as our Bloom Retail model can own these strains for distribution throughout the California marketplace. And we can drive traffic because we have those specialty products. And again, it really is a strong comparison between you know, commercialized, larger scale, you know, brewed beer versus a craft distillery. You're going to get more care and you're going to get more attention. And we want to make sure we have the ability to market both to our consumer bases. Well, Derek, there's a lot of great things going on with the company. As we look at the stock changing gears once again, you, you look back at February 22nd, you're at 33 cents. I think you started the year January 4th, right around 35 cents. It's been under uh, a steady pressure. I mean, it's been on a, a pretty much a steady decline as well. What are some of the factors that you think or that you can talk about that are leading to the stock on a downward trend? Listen, Stuart, I, I think we can all admit that the stock market has is, is become you know, somewhat of an unpredictable environment. It's not what it used to be when I, when I used to work in the business where you know, a lot of the activity was based on fundamental growth models and fundamental analysis. 
Um, so much of it is speculative to a certain degree, especially on the OTC market. That's just part of the nature of that world and, and for, for microcap companies. That being said, you know, we were on a pretty good growth trajectory from the stock, you know, up until the November election. If you look at the chart, the tipping point was really the November election plus the appointment of uh, attorney uh, Jeff Sessions, which was not a fan of our industry. So we've been under some, I think, systemic pressure that was more politically or legislative driven than anything else. But we had an additional point of, uh, of heavy trading in our assumption that started to take place after April 1st. So remember, we bought the Oakland dispensary bloom up in Oakland uh, April 1st a year ago in 2016. So on April 1st this year, a lot of that stock or the remainder of that stock became liquid and tradable. And that's just, you know, one of the, 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 you know, there's a lot of positives with being able to use stock for acquisitions purposes. The positive was we were able to grow the company's top line revenue substantially. We were able to grab a tremendous amount of market share. We were able to, you know, save and conserve cash. The negative is, you know, a year later, these people are also going to want to convert that stock to cash, which is, you know, rightfully so. So we think there's been an additional amount of pressure in the marketplace because people are ultimately converting that stock to cash and, and exiting out of the transaction, which is what we engaged in in the first place. So that's just a byproduct of making acquisitions and using equity. Eventually, people are going to want to convert that equity into cash and monetize it and move on. That being said, again, I do think it's short-term and systemic in nature uh, and not related to the company internally. And I think this is, you know, a brief moment in time where we're, you know, where there's a liquidity event taking place. But again, you know, the markets have become speculative at best, and there is some overhead, you know, still a tremendous amount of political and legislative overhead, especially, you know, kind of geared towards towards our industry that we hope works itself out over, you know, the coming months as, as you know, as people in the industry begin to speak up about how valuable cannabis is in, in marketplaces, both economically and socially, that this doesn't have the negative connotations and stigmas that are attached to it. We're not seeing an increase in teen use. We're not seeing an increase in traffic fatalities. A lot of times we're seeing a reduction in crime, a reduction in traffic fatalities, and a reduction in teen use. We're seeing a huge economic stimulation in multiple marketplaces because of this industry. So I think eventually the administration will begin to understand the true value of commercializing, taxing, and regulating cannabis. But until then, we're going to see, I think, some systemic pressure that exists in the marketplace. And for a publicly traded company, we have a scoreboard, and that scoreboard's the market, and the market will digest that, and the prices will reflect accordingly. But that's my assumption. You know, again, the markets are a bit you know, variable and a bit crazy at times, but I do believe what we're seeing and experiencing now is somewhat short-term in nature. Well, and let's not forget the total revenues generated by the company that we just talked about in the conference call increased 340% for that first quarter ended March 31st, 2017. The increase in the first quarter revenues was primarily attributable to the sales from Bloom, and you just mentioned Bloom. So there's the yin and yang of it right there. You know, you're getting great things. You gave up some stock. That's part of the public company life, as you said. Uh, and one other thing to mention real quick, there is a way for people to reach out to you, see you. You've got a lot of different panels you're going to be on here. Here's the last piece of news we'll touch on. CEO selected as panelists at upcoming industry conferences. So you've got a very busy summer laid out for you, Derek. Uh, some of these are opportunities for you to meet and greet other people, but as well, share your insight like you're doing for us here. But it's a validation of where you've come over the past few years here being asked to be a part of these events. Yeah, I think you know, I think that's we're always trying to make sure we're out there in front of everybody telling our story so people understand how we're different from a lot of the companies out there. I mean, look, Stuart, we, we've been working together for some time, but 
you know, if you look at where the company is today versus just a couple years ago, what, what a huge difference. We have five retail cannabis stores and a sixth one opening up shortly. We have a you know, substantial cultivation footprint uh, in multiple marketplaces. We're expanding our cultivation footprint in the Nevada marketplace. We have recreational adult use sales happening in both those markets. We have a five-acre fully automated, high-tech vegetation cultivation facility in New Jersey. The the new candidates running for governor in the New Jersey marketplace are both very, very open to legalized cannabis. Murphy, who's leading the poll, said in his uh, speech the other night that if he's elected, New Jersey will legalize. So we've got a lot of great opportunity ahead of us. You know, we're going to lean into hitting this 38 to $40 million revenue number that we projected for 2017, but we really feel like the substantial progress, especially when we get a a cleared-up federal environment, is really into the 2018-2019 timeframe. But we've certainly positioned the company well. We've done accretive activities. We have a huge, huge asset base in the company, a physical, tangible asset base in the company that has the ability to generate a tremendous amount of revenue if we get the political tailwinds that I think we're going to be getting over the next several years. Well, once again, you've said so much. Thank you for your insight and your candor, as well as your expertise. Derek, we look forward to speaking with you again as this summer wraps up. Congratulations on the year so far. Good luck on the year to come. And we look forward to speaking with you again in the near future. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for having us on, Stuart. Take care. You bet. For Derek Peterson, this is Stuart Smith saying thanks so much for listening. SmallCapVoice.com, today's leader in investor relations, capital formation, and retail support, provides its clients with the highest level of service. Our audio interviews are disseminated to one of the largest opt-in audiences available today. How? We at SmallCapVoice.com believe in aligning and affiliating ourselves with other leaders within the investor relations community. By sharing resources, each affiliated firm is made that much stronger and each client is served that much better. Our focus is to identify and provide the very best financial services and solutions available to clients and their shareholders. For more information about our services, please call us at 512-267-2430 or visit us on the web at www.smallcapvoice.com.